today on Ag News Daily. My husband was a little leery, I would say, to do that. He kind of thought we were crazy. But again, like Whitney said, we're all best friends now. And um, just a really random leap of faith that worked out in our favor. Our episode today is brought to you by Kubota. Together, we do more. Welcome to the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. How's Delaney doing this morning? I'm good, Tanner. I tell you what, though, it's super foggy this morning here in central Iowa. You can't hardly see in front of you. So I was on my way to the gym this morning. I thought, oh, I better not drive the speed limit even. Yeah, I can't see you. I can barely see uh, a couple of blocks down the road. But yes. um, what's the wives tale? I was trying to figure this out. How many days after a fog does it mean rain? Is it 30 oh, or 90? I have no There's idea. Something. I, I knew that. I might. By the end of this, by the end of this recording, I'll have it looked up so that way we can share it with the listeners okay perfect i look forward to hearing that what do you got in the news this morning well let's just stay on that same vein there and chat weather monday's updated european weather model called for above normal rainfall to be pretty much the norm here for the month of may for much of the primary corn and soybean growing areas all the way from louisiana north through Arkansas, Missouri, Eastern Iowa, and Wisconsin, and some points to the east. However, areas to the west, Tanner, like the Plains areas, are expected to see well below normal precipitation. So it's almost like if you could draw a line in the middle of the country, we're going to see two very different weather patterns come to light here during planting season. Yeah, that uh, it is. It's going to be very interesting. And I can't believe how fast I found this, but it is 90 days after okay. fog and uh, the article here states that that's why we are seeing the moisture that we're having right now apparently 90 days ago hmm. we we had significant fog which would dictate the moisture that we're seeing here in central Iowa but where I was also wondering too I was thinking about this what makes fog go away like because it's still I mean we're recording this about eight forty-five this morning and there's still quite a bit of dense thick fog <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt the answer okay. to avoid sounding foolish, but uh, that's not true. I will attempt it. It's got to have something to do with heat. and sunlight. Well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought too, as I was driving. Because yeah. fog typically typically sets off in lower areas uh, as it does burn off. But listeners, you got to tell us if we're right or wrong, because otherwise we're just going to run with it and not know anything of the wiser. Um, but Lenny, like we said, we are a little bit damp here in central Iowa where it is not damp is the red flag warnings that have been issued for Nebraska and a wildfire that is fast moving through Arizona. It is tripled in size by the end of the day Wednesday and is forcing thousands of people to evacuate their homes. They cannot stress enough, the local fire officer says from the Cosino National Forest reports. Cannot stress enough how important it is to leave the fire area and the path of the fire. Approximately 14 miles north of Flagstaff, Arizona, is where this fire is. It is claiming more than 6,000 acres on its way to nearly 20,000 by the end of the day Wednesday. So we'll keep an eye on this. Um, but certainly it seems to be the year of the fire, Delaney. Yes. And I was looking up, I was trying to remember exactly where Flagstaff was. So that's Northern Arizona, North of Phoenix. That area, Tanner, is a very well-known area for cattle production as well as hay production. Arizona is actually one of the leading states for hay production in the United States. So that certainly could be a factor at play here. 
Yeah, it could. That yeah, we really should keep tabs on that and see if they can get it calmed down or if Mother Nature helps us get it stopped. Absolutely. But speaking of Mother Nature, it seems like Mother Nature's been agreeable for Ukrainian farmers, Tanner. As of earlier this week, it appears that Ukraine is about 20% planted, two and a half million hectares, which is about 20% of the expected area that they will be planting, according to the Agrarian Policy and Food Department. Expect, it expects that 60 to 70% of those areas reclaimed from Russian troops can be planted once they're checked for landmines, etc., but just 30 to 40% of those areas still remain under hostile control and aren't expected to necessarily be planted, Tanner. So if our listeners remember, same day last week, we had reported them between 2 and 3% planted. So yes. Ukrainian farmers have been busy, which is good. Um, of course, the northern regions and those along the Russian border are going to have a lot harder time getting there. And that's why that 60 to 70% figure in there for a projection comes, but it also comes with uh, news that Putin has claimed victory in his battle for Maripol on Thursday. So that was the battle that was going on. They were uh, had Ukrainian troops hunkered down into um, a steel plant, the blockade for this plant that covered more than four square miles. Um, Putin has stated that he's calling this a victory without destroying the rest of that plant and is urging those in the bunker and tunnels of this plant to surrender themselves and promises, I'm using air quotes with my fingers, promises that they will get medical treatment and will be treated fairly if they surrender. Yeah, and that's also coming. I think maybe you touched on this yesterday, so I apologize if this is a rehash of news you've already shared, Tanner, but rail cars continue to back up on Ukraine's western border as they're continuing to try to seek export grain over land through Poland and Romania on rail that we've talked about earlier. But nearly 30,000 rail cars were backed up as of last week, which is up 28% over the past two weeks. And then as you think about the Black Sea ports, 90% of Ukrainian exports move through their ports in the Black Sea region. So really, they're they're getting impacted on all fronts, the eastern side where the Black Sea ports would be, as well as the western side where their rail cars would be. Yeah, I did. We, we touched on that last week. And then there was an article I saw on Monday that we didn't report on that stated, uh, even with the Easter holiday, which I didn't realize would have an impact, um, there was labor shortage. So things continue to back up. It seems like everything is going against Ukraine when it comes to uh, getting products exported. But I tell you what would not work against our listeners is Kubota equipment. Farming demands well-built equipment, Kubota equipment that is, and they are built right, built ready and proven for over a century. Tractors that are adaptable and versatile, hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed and productive SSV skid steers. There's farm work to do, Kubota equipment is ready to get it done right. Learn more about Kubota at KubotaUSA.com. The United States ethanol output has plunged to its lowest level in almost seven months, delaying last week. Inventories have also dropped to multi-month lows. 
This is according to Energy Information Energy Information Administration. Let's see if we can say that three times fast. The production of biofuel fell to an average of 947,000 barrels a day in a week that ended in April 15th. And that is compared to the prior of 995,000. So we didn't just clip a little bit lower. Um, we took a significant smaller jump. And that is uh, now the lowest since September 24th, the agency is reporting. So interesting to track this as uh, Biden made his announcement at the Menlo ethanol plant last week. And now we're seeing um, lowest production in the last seven months. Peter, I'm so glad that you mentioned last week's Menlo, Iowa announcement because Jake Moline, who's a broker here in West Des Moines for Stonex, recently wrote an article for the Farmer's Risk blog. I encourage our listeners to check it out. I've been helping to kind of cultivate these uh, blogs together for Farmer's Risk, but he went through the numbers and essentially called all of the buzz around this announcement last week malarkey. And here's why. He said that of the roughly 150,000 gas stations in the United States, only about one and a half percent actually sell E15 tanner. So he said, if you do the math and make a friendly assumption that of those 2,300 or one and a half percent gas stations that sell E15, all drivers were to choose E15 during that three and a half month time frame, it really only equates to an increase in corn demand by about 7 million bushels of corn or less than 34,000 acres of Iowa corn production. And this is, again, assuming every driver would make the choice to fill up with E15 versus E10. So he's really saying here that there was a lot of buzz created around this announcement for not really a lot of good reason. Yeah, that definitely feels more like a front now than anything. And I always um, have a skepticalness when a politician travels to a small town or to a location to make an announcement, which always seems above and beyond, because you can have the same news delivered from your podium at the White House. Uh, I, I understand it's nice to get out and, and see and connect with your constituents, but um, that's uh, it's good to put some facts some some mathematic equations and some real some actual realness behind what we see coming out of our politicians. Um, the last piece, the last piece, Delaney, I've got today is AFEX. So Nigeria's leading commodities exchange, AFEX, AFEX, has announced a code cash crop. So they are doing an ag hackathon. Delaney, do you know what a hackathon is? Well, I'm going to guess it's a increment of measurement, but I have no idea. That's just a guess. Yeah. So I originally went with the mentality that a hackathon meant that they're going to try and break into these servers. You know, we've we've heard of uh, local co-ops being taken down by ransomware or large corporations having data breaches. So I assumed it was going to test ag networks with hackers. And now it was completely wrong and you're wrong as well. So a hackathon is a organized event for a short period of time that brings a shortlisted group of applicants, experts in technology, industry, leadership, finance, all together with the sole focus to solve a problem. So Apex is looking to create a new product or technology that can be used in African agriculture, 
and they are putting together three teams. So applicants can apply, they will group into three teams and will compete between a 12 day period to create a brand new idea, to develop their idea. And the winning team gets 2.5 million Naira. So that's the Nigerian dollar is in Naira. So this is an organized event by the nation's largest commodity exchange from Nigeria to put together some of the brightest minds in the ag sector to create an innovative product, whether it's a technology or a practice for African farmers um, to use and put into place. 2.5 million Nairas. Now, how many dollars do you think that is, Delaney? I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say a million dollars. It is six thousand and forty-eight dollars. Mm. So the uh, article was interesting to learn about what a hackathon is, and then to me, last lost a little bit of its luster uh, when you see that this budget is going right. to be rather small. However, it might go further. Uh, I was just going to say. Culture. I was just going to say it most likely, more than likely will, Tanner, go a lot further than that would go here in the U.S. But you mentioned uh, the, the hackath- hackathon, hackathon, hackathon. Yep. Not the heck with it. Hackathon. <laughs> and you said you said that you mentioned that uh, you thought originally it was something to do with hackers. And that's interesting. You said that because just yesterday, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, also known as the FBI, released an alert saying that agricultural cooperatives should be on high alert right now, taking all possible precautions to safeguard their operations against cyber attackers, of all things. So they said that there wasn't a lot of detail as to why they sent the notification, but that they thought historically ransomware attackers may be more likely to attack agricultural cooperatives during critical planting and harvest seasons to try and cause disruptions to our food chain. Again, they didn't say that there was anything going on, but it certainly makes you wonder, Tanner, why they did send that alert out. Yeah, it'll be, there's got to be some type of a tip off um, coming from behind, but I would say using logic, uh, this is going to be even more of a crucial season as planting progress is delayed that uh, farmers and corporations will be burning the candle at both ends and probably not have a lot of their focus on keeping data safe. We know here in the banking world that the phishing scams that lead to rent, rent, ransomware look legitimate. And if it's a message that comes to you as a listener that says, hey, I need you right now to sign or fill this invoice out. Um, it could be it could be damaging, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we that's a great point to bring up. And like you said, it would cripple a big portion of the nation if we can't get fertilizer shipped or we can't get uh, any of our products through a system because the system is down. So um, no, that's very timely to bring that out. Also, what's timely? This is a really bad transition, but we're going to do it anyway. Is Kubota equipment, farming demands, well-built equipment, Kubota equipment that is built right, built ready, and proven for over a century. Tractors that are adaptable and versatile, hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed, and productive SSV skid steers. There's farm work to do. Kubota equipment is ready to get it done right for you. Learn more at KubotaUSA.com. Delaney? 
I'm out of news. Do you have any more or is it time to get to the markets? I don't have anything else today, Tanner, other than chat and markets and certainly seeing a little bit of an ugly transition here into the overnight morning. This morning, corn, soybeans, and wheat are all lower on the day, anywhere from 7 to 12 cents across the board here. Opposite story in the livestock markets right now, as both live cattle, feeder cattle are up and lean hogs are lower on the day. So that is where we are opening up at here this morning. But Tanner, without further ado, I'm very excited for this next conversation. We've got a new podcast that recently joined the Global Ag Network. You may have heard their voices. You may follow them on social media. But let's turn it over without further ado to the Midwest Farm Wives. Well, it feels like we've had a lot of new announcements here at Global Ag Network and on the Ag News Daily podcast. And one of those is that we added another show to the network, Midwest Farm Wives. And I'm excited to have two of the hosts, I say two of the hosts, the only hosts of the show, Kylie Epperson and Whitney Larson on today. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. So I want to learn a little bit more about, of course, the podcast, but you guys as well as individuals. So Kylie, why don't we start with you? What's your background look like? Yeah, thanks so much for having us on the um, show today. We, me, I guess, my husband and I are fourth generation farmers here in Northeast Missouri. We raise corn, soybeans, and we have a handful, quite a few really pigs. We also have three beautiful children, uh, two boys and a girl. And then um, I was raised in education. I became a teacher to start. Then I came back to the farm to work in our office. And since then, I've kind of migrated and transitioned into a role as an image consultant with the House of Color franchise here in our area. And so I just have this random mixed bag of tricks, I guess you would say. And Whitney and I have been recording the podcast for now. What is it with? Like three years? Yep. So Whitney, what about you? What is your background in agriculture and all that good stuff look like? Well, I, I'm a little different. Um, I did not come from agriculture at all. Uh, actually, my granddad was a farmer, um, but that was three generations ago. Uh, so my husband and I, Bart, we met in high school and he grew up on a cow-calf operation and a farm. And he worked for a farmer in the town that I grew up in. So we started dating. And then when we got married, he decided he wanted to start a farm of his own. So we branched out in a different way as, as some do not, that we are not farming with his family, but we are farming on our own. And so I grew up in all things sports. So uh, going into agriculture was a little bit of a shell shock for me. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't grow up on a farm, but we now farm together. Um, we farm row crops and have three kids as well, two boys and a girl, which is funny that we both have the same. Um, but yeah, I, I stay at home and I actually work with my husband on the farm. I kind of call myself a gopher. I go for this or go for that. And I fill in where is needed. And I also um, am the founder of Cultivating Courage, which is a conference for women um, to, to come be uplifted, empowered, and just leave more hopeful than they came. So that's kind of my story. 
I love the term gopher as describing yourself, Whitney. I've never heard of that. And it made me chuckle a little bit. So I'm going to steal that phrase. I hope you don't mind. Nope, not at all. (laughs) So how did you ladies actually come to meet and form, you know, such a bond that you guys actually wanted to host a podcast together? Well, social media, the amazing world of social media, um, I had started posting our farm story as did Kylie. And so the term farm wife, you can kind of search that anywhere. And I met Kylie, we started following each other and I felt a pull to start a podcast, but I did not want to do it by myself. I didn't think I could talk to myself for minutes on an hour and entertain myself enough to let others listen. So I posted on Instagram one day and said, Hey, does anybody want to co-host a podcast with me? And Kylie's response was, what was it, Kylie? (laughs) It was like me, maybe, or it was very indecisive. I can tell you that. Yeah, it wasn't really an answer. I think she just put me, maybe, question mark. And the rest was was truly history. We, We bonded and we talked every day and we became friends. And honestly, our first podcast is a little sketchy because we didn't even know each other's story. And so when we described each other in our first podcast, we both kind of learned more about each other. But since then, we went on vacation together and visited each other's farm. And um, us, as well as our our husbands, are really good friends now. Yeah, it was an interesting way to meet, but nothing that I would ever change. I just can't imagine what it was like to actually meet in person for the first time. I feel like I have a lot of people that I've met over social media and things like that, but meeting them for the first time in person kind of sounds intimidating. We had the benefit of Zooming often once we kind of figured out our podcast and then also chatting day by day. And so that didn't feel as weird. I know our husbands, the first time Whitney and I met, we were in Nashville on a vacation together. And not only were we meeting in person, we were actually all spending the weekend together in a house. And so my husband was a little leery, I would say, to do that. (laughs) He kind of thought we were crazy. But again, like Whitney said, we're all best friends now. And um, just a really random leap of faith that worked out in our favor over and over again. I think it's just funny sometimes how life works out so well in that way. But ladies, I want to know a little bit more about your show. If some of our Ag News Daily listeners want to venture over and start listening to Midwest Farm Wives, what can they expect? Um, So our title kind of says it all, motherhood, rural living, farming, faith, and so much more. But really, Kylie and I are very honest on the podcast and we talk about the good that happens in farming and parenting and rural living, but we also are really honest and talk about the hard stuff too. And so where a lot of people don't open up about that, I think that women especially tend to feel left out or alone. And so when I listen to our podcast, they're like, Hey, okay, these ladies know what I'm feeling. And it feels like you're talking to your best friend. So we just hope that anyone that comes feels welcome or feels maybe seen because they haven't had other people tell them they feel this way. But yeah, I don't, do you want to piggyback off that Kylie? That's kind of my feelings. Yeah. And when we're talking about audience and who to attract and who should listen, I actually think that it attracts different audiences for different reasons. So the title's Midwest Farm Wives. So instantly you think you have to be a farm wife. So I would say any wives, any women involved in agriculture, especially in that era of 
kids and just the madness and the rush that we're going through, that stage is a very relatable audience. I think the new farm wives or the farm girlfriends who are looking into this lifestyle saying, what am I getting into? What can I prepare for? That's a great audience as well, because they could learn from some of the trials and things that Whitney and I have gone through to even better mentally prepare them. But I also think there's a really special spot for men to listen. No, you may not understand everything, but what wouldn't it be such a great glimpse into the mind of maybe your wife or your mother or your mother-in-law or that female in the in that role and so the audience could be as as variable as you would like and we really like to appeal to women first and foremost but i do think there's some benefit for men to also listen So I want to hear from each of you on what your favorite episode or topic that you guys have really tackled has been in this three-year journey. You guys have, I think now, 61 episodes that you guys have ran through. And that seems like a lot of things to talk about, a lot of information to digest and move through. So what's been your favorite part of it all? I think definitely building the relationships uh, with not only her and I, But the women that reach out to us really, really seem genuinely touched by our words. And it's, it's humbling because Kylie and I are just honestly having a conversation with one another and it, it not only humbles us, but it helps her and I feel better to get those words off of our chest. Yeah. I've got two favorite episodes. One is all the way back at the beginning And if you listen to our first episode, please bear with us. We say this every time we talk about our podcast because episode one is really shaky. We get our life together after that. Uh, But there's there's this one called the one where we prepare for seasonal seasonal singleness, Um, and it was just a it, it was our first time chatting about preparing for that big planting season. And so this would be the perfect time for that as we all gear up to go planting again. I think Whitney and I actually need to go back and listen to it. But I also loved one of our most recent episodes where we recorded live. Again, the the quality of the audio was not great, but being in a room at Cultivating Courage, Whitney's event with a bunch, a community of listeners and sisters and mothers and this group of women and doing it live doing the podcast live and actually having that connection, that would probably be one of my second favorite episodes for, for so many reasons, what was said and also the atmosphere that we were able to record in. Well, ladies, obviously our listeners can find you guys at globalagnetwork.com and really any streaming service out there if they're not already listening to Midwest Farm Wives. But other than that, where can they find you guys at on socials? Um, So for me, Instagram is my main place and where I focus a lot of sharing our farm story and motherhood and all those things. So um, I'm at farm wife guru. And I'm at Kylie Epperson underscore. Well, ladies, thank you once again for coming on and sharing your stories with me. And I'm so excited to have Midwest Farm Wives on the network. And I'm excited to see where the future goes for the show. Yes, thank you. And we're so thankful that Global Ag picked us up. Thank you so much. Well, again, a big thank you there to Kylie for coming on and chatting with us. Certainly excited to have her and Whitney be part of the Global Ag Network, Tanner. Yeah, that is. That's exciting. It's always fun to see and hear people that share the same passion that we do of producing content, looking to entertain a group of listeners. 
um, and appear to be doing it at a very high skill level. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tanner. But I like to think that we produce the podcast at a fairly high skill level as well. So folks, uh, (laughs) stay tuned with us. We've got one final great interview coming up tomorrow on the podcast. Tanner, what do you say? We let the people go. Let's let the people go.